Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. The Bible says that uh, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And today we are celebrating the love of God, which is way too big of a subject to possibly cover in any single moment. We can, we'll spend the rest of eternity meditating on this and celebrating this, but this Advent, uh, it's amazing because this Sunday is actually Christmas Eve, and Christmas Eve, normally in, in the tradition, you also light the Christ candle. Uh, but I think it's perfect that it lands this way because the love candle and the Christ candle are basically the same thing, right? God packaged his love for us in the skin of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So I want to tell a little parallel here. And, uh, and, and so just bear with me. It's my own little story. About this time, 10 years ago, maybe a little over 10 years ago, it was around this time of year, I was sitting in a living room grieving the death of, uh, of a relationship. And, uh, and the Lord visited me in a profound way. Um, and I was just laying there on the floor. I remember I had my eyes closed and I had this vision from the Holy Spirit. He showed me, it looked like the arm of Leonardo um, painting the Sistine Chapel. Is that how you say it? And he said, before I painted the heavens and I opened my eyes and I just took a moment to recognize that the Lord was speaking to me something because it was so unusual. And I closed my eyes again. And the next thing I saw was a, a man with a red robe and his curly locks here. And he had a quill, a feathery quill, and he was writing on a line staff. And I heard before I composed the score and I opened my eyes again. And right in front of me, I saw is. I don't know if the Lord just knew the book was there. Or he has a way of working things out. This book that a friend had given me called Redeeming Love, I think it's called. Uh, and it's, a, it's a, a story that parallels that of Hosea, who was ordered by God to pursue this woman as a wife who was a prostitute and kept going back. And he kept redeeming her again. She kept going back and he kept redeeming her again. And it's a story about the long-suffering love of God. And anyway, this book was sitting right there. So I hear these two first phrases. Then I see this book and I see the, the, the illustration of this woman in a red dress and the redeeming love. And he said, I considered my bride and said, she's worth dying for. So it was before I painted the heavens, before I composed the score, I considered my bride and said, she's worth dying for. And the Lord, the Father, began to minister to me and teach me about what real love looks like in that moment. Because see, growing up, like a lot of young guys, I had this perpetual dream of what it would look like to save the princess. I can't remember how many times the game that I love to play was to go outside with my brothers or my friends, pick up a stick, break it into a sword, and then beat the goblins until I saved the princess, right? Does anybody, any guys relate to that? Yeah, why do we do that? right? It's hardwired into us to want to fight and pursue and sacrifice to save the princess. And why is that? Because we're made in the image of God. And from the beginning, the Lord counted the cost of what it would cost him to redeem his bride from the beginning, because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? So he began to teach me about this. Now, fast forward, uh, at the end of that year, I, I took a year not dating, Juliana and I meet, and she marveled the other morning. She's like, you realize that we met on Instagram. Like all of our lives, <laughs> it revolves around this insane, unlikely incident where we started talking in the comments section of some other person. Um, but it's funny, it is funny because she, while she's right in the practical sense that that's how we met, there was, so much more to it than that because God was redeeming my story and redeeming my loss. And because I was giving that part of my life to him, he was breathing divine life on it. And she was going through the exact same process at the exact same time. And the details would astound you. But 
The point is that we were being prepared for a love that had the signature of God on it. And so he was teaching me about this long-suffering love, right? So Jesus now is coming into the earth. Pastor Brad left us off last week with the shepherds, right? And, uh, and this is what's amazing, is when we finally met and we taught Art Life Camp, uh, we did a dance track there. And I remember after we taught them, and in my heart, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the woman, right? This is the woman for me. And we went out by, we went out by the river at Living Faith Bible College, and we're underneath the stars dancing by the river. And, uh, and I, I could not, it was one of those moments where the narrative world overtook the physical world. It was like this thing that God had been preparing my heart for, for a year, that had been preparing her heart for a year. It's like all of that preparation was now taking on flesh. And, uh, and we're sitting there below the stars and I'm like, look up at these stars. She's like, yeah, it's so amazing. And I snuck one in on her. And that was our very first kiss. So, what? yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, it's so slick, so slick. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was such an incredible, and I would say, divine moment, not because it, it, anything of it was divine in and of itself, but because God had been at work. And so here's the point, to come full circle here. It's like, please. This is like torture for her. It's torture for her when I tell long stories. But the... Uh, <laughs> So there we are, and it seemed like the stars aligned. So back to where Pastor Brad left us off with the shepherds. In that moment, that was the moment that the narrative world was meeting the physical world. When the star, literally, there was a star, a supernatural star that was aligning over Bethlehem for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And it was the moment that the Lord had his first kiss with the bride that he'd been preparing all this time that he from the beginning had prepared himself for and so this is interesting because it's not just romantic love even though i think that it is fully appropriate because christ calls himself the bridegroom so the interesting thing about this is that love will compel a man to do insane things and christ held nothing back from us for the sake of love and you'll be amazed when you are possessed by that love of God in the spirit of adoption, the things that you will do. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to bring up because my wife brought it up and it's so profound, it is amazing, is even looking at Joseph, who was not a father to this child. He represents this spirit of adoption because he had to make a choice even before the angel appeared to him. Have you ever considered this? He wasn't going to do what the law said to do and have Mary killed because she was pregnant before they could be together. He had to exercise love even in that moment. And he had to exercise the spirit of adoption that God was manifesting into the earth because Christ was not his physical son. And it's just profound the way that God knits together this narrative and pulls people into this spirit. So that's what we're celebrating today as we light the candle of love is Christ coming into the earth. Yeah. So God, thank you so much. Thank you for being the one who brings purpose and narrative to this world that's fallen into such chaos and disarray. You are the one that brings context to our lives. You're the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the Bible says that all things were made by him, for him, and through him. And so today, Father, we acknowledge that we were made by, for, and through the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, the Prince, your Prince, the Messiah. And we're so grateful that he came to give us context and purpose in our lives where there was no context or purpose because of the fall. But Jesus really is the reason so thank you for Jesus and thank you for the great love that you showed us because you loved the world so much. While we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray.
we're going to sing one more song, and I would invite you, if you want to just sit and take it in, you can. If you want to stand and worship with us, that's also totally okay, whatever you feel led to do.
So good to just be in the house of God together today and celebrate. We're so glad that you are here this morning. And what a, what a triumphant story this is, right? What a triumphant story Christmas is. We really cannot separate Christmas from Easter. We really can't separate the beginning of the book from the end of the book and everything in between. It's a continuous story and it's such a delightful celebration. Today as we, um, as we gather from where I sit always, I'm always looking back and forth between the manger and the cross and the manger and the cross. And I love that even, you know, for me, it's helpful that the wood matches, you know, but um, it's like they belong together. Do you know what I mean? They belong together. The manger and the cross belong together because it's the fulfillment of God's story for us. And this morning as we celebrate, um, and tonight we're going to go a little deeper still, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about uh, something slightly different. You know, we tend to fall into ruts. If you're a church person, and Christmas is normally celebrated at church for you. Um, we tend to have patterns and things that we follow, scriptures that we always read all the time. If you're new uh, to church, and maybe this is your first time coming to a Christmas service, it can be a little bit different every time. Some, some people like to do exactly the same things, but I always feel like God has something new that he wants to speak to us in every year, that there's something fresh in the word of God. He's living, and the word of God is alive and active. And so there's something new every year that we can press into. And this morning, Jason blessed us by sharing with us the traditional Christmas story. Um, man, that was like impressive. If you missed it, I, you got to go back and watch the live stream. The kid memorized like half a Bible. I don't know, like a lot, a lot. He's got it memorized. But uh, for your own reading and study as a family, Luke chapters one and two are the Christmas story. And so there's a long passage that's in there, but it's the story of Jesus's arrival on earth. There's a story of Elizabeth becoming pregnant with John. There's a story of how his dad, Zacharias, was in the, in the temple and fulfilling his regular duties. And an angel like the messenger angel from heaven shows up to him and gives him a word from God that his prayers have been answered, which is like an amazing thing anyway. His prayers have been heard and answered. And then Zacharias actually answers and he says, how can I know that this is true? And the angel is like, I literally stand in the presence of God and brought you his men. Like, and then he's like, and just so you don't mess it up, this is my paraphrase. But just so you don't mess it up, you're not going to be able to speak until he's born because you need, to, you need to live in faith. When Mary gets the message that she's going to be the one who is pregnant, she's expecting Jesus, she's like, be it unto me according to your word. She just receives it by faith. And so every little nuance, every little part of the Christmas story has these elements to it that like draw us in. And we see different people's reactions to it. We see the angels who are out doing their thing, or the shepherds out doing their thing in the field, and the, the angels um, begin singing. There's a declaration from heaven. The sky opens up, and they have this encounter with the heavenly realm, and they respond by running and going in haste to see this thing. We see the story of the wise men who spend two years approximately traveling, following a star, that they don't really know what it's all about, but it's something unusual. There's, there's all these aspects of the different angles of how people respond to the story. And today I want to talk about that, the, the concept of our responsibility with the Christmas story. And the Christmas story is... Uh, it's broad. It's a lot longer. We give the actual documented bit um, that we can study, Luke chapters 1 and 2. And again, I would recommend you read this as part of your Christmas family celebrations this weekend. But that is just one piece of it. It actually starts in Genesis, and it goes on to Revelation and on. The story of, of Christmas, the story of the celebration of the Christ is an eternal story. It's something that goes way beyond our timeline. And I was thinking about this. We used to love, you know, there was a few years in a row there that the um, Chronicles of Narnia series came out in movie theaters in December. Do you remember that? 
And like the very first one, when the, the altar breaks and Aslan comes back to life. And I, I remember sitting at the movie theater was packed and everybody just starts cheering and I'm crying. And it's like, we're, we're having this moment where we're watching a movie, we're hearing a story, but we know it's symbolic of the fact that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again. For us, we know that it's a story that tells a deeper story. And, and there's layers to things like that. There's the, the Lord of the Rings trilogies and all, you know, all the stuff that goes with that. There's symbolism in behind. And very similarly, the Bible has all kinds of connection points that maybe when you just hear scripture or you hear stories, you don't always know how it applies to you, but it is pivotal with the Christmas story that we personally apply it. That it's not just something that we hear and go, well, isn't that a nice story? Isn't this a nice Christmas moment? It's not just a nice Christmas moment. It's life-altering truth tucked into the story. And so if we were to say the story, you know, what, what would it be called? Um, this year, our theme as a church for all of December has been Let There Be Light. And I believe Let There Be Light is an appropriate title for the story. And it's a story that is the story of humanity. The story of God is far broader, far, far longer. God has always been. God will always be. So prior to mankind, God was already. He already had a storyline going. Our story starts very specifically with a very specific phrase. And it ends with a very specific phrase. And then on into eternity. So just to give you a little bit of a background, I'm going to say that the story of humanity, as it relates to Christmas, actually starts in Genesis chapter 1. And for those who might be visiting today, we are not actually going to go through the whole Bible, but we will start on the first page today. Um, it's important, always a good place to start, you know, but the very beginning of the book, we see prior to this, something must have been. God was. Eternity was. It's so naive and, and somewhat arrogant of humanity to think that we're the only thing that ever was. Everything revolves around me, don't you know? Everything revolves around my, my, my wants and my desires and my hopes and my dreams. No, everything actually revolves around God. And we got written into a story. We're part of it out of love. So it says in Genesis chapter one, starting at verse one, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God already was. In the beginning, God already had something going on. In the beginning, God already had a storyline. In the beginning, God already existed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So in the beginning, before there was a story of mankind, even though we think the world revolves around us, there was just void. There was nothing. There was, a, there was a, a, just a space waiting to be created. Something that was in the heart of God. Something that was in darkness. Something that was in, in a place absent of the presence of God. Absent of who he is. It was out, without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, the first things that we ever hear him say, let there be light. Let there be light. And in that declaration, everything changed. There was a light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness and he called the light day and the darkness he called night. So there was this moment where God speaks, let there be light, and there becomes light. God says, light, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it happened. God spoke, and something creative happened, and there was a separation of the darkness that had been, been there, the, the void that had been hovering, and something new began. And as the story goes on, this creative story of man begins. And we don't see man here, but we see the beginning. It was like if any storybook you ever opened, it starts off and there's a, there's a prelude. And there's a, like the prologue that comes in and it starts off and it sets the, sets the framework. It sets the form that we're, we're, we're going to build the rest of the story on. In the beginning, there was nothing. 
until God spoke and light came in and separated and something new was beginning. Why does this matter? Because sometimes when we're, we're, we're you know, looking at a Christmas story, we're looking at the Christmas season, we're wondering, you know, do I have space for God? So, some people have never experienced a Christmas with God in it, Christmas with Jesus in it. But beyond Christmas, what about the rest of our life? What about what happens in May? What happens in August? What happens in October? Lots of times we feel like God is an add-on to life. Like I'm going to invite God into this situation. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray about this thing. As though God's secondary. But point is, prior to Genesis 1, God existed. We're the add-on to his story. He's not the add-on to ours. That actually shifts everything. If the perspective, if the anchor point is that God has always been and will always be, then it makes me have to wonder where I fit in the story that he's writing. So he begins and he calls in light and he separates and light begins to shift. Jesus said in John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I am. God always was. Whether we decide to recognize that he exists or not, that's on us. But it doesn't change the fact that he is. Whether we want to include him in our life, whether we want to walk with him, whether we want to know him, that's on us. But it doesn't change the fact that he knows us. He knows us by name. We've been driving around and, and walking around and praying over neighborhoods over the last um, several weeks. And I was thinking last night, we were, we were out and uh, just, you know, we're praying for families and we're praying for our neighborhoods. We're praying for the, the you know, the marriages, the, the family celebrations that'll be happening in these homes. And I just thought how interesting it is that we're praying generically, but God actually knows the names of the people who live in those houses. He knows the struggles that they're facing. He knows the victories. He knows the joy. He knows the loss. He literally knows every single person that has been prayed for, every single person, you know, on, on the face of the earth, he knows us by name. And whether we choose to acknowledge that or not, that's on us. But knowing us, that's on him. It's because he always was. So it goes on a little further in Genesis, Genesis 1.26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God actually created us in his image, made us so that we function, we think, we, we operate in his image. And he gave us dominion or governmental rule over the earth. And that is mind-blowing to me. The God who always was actually said, I'm going to create something and put it in charge. I mean, I've raised children. You don't do that. You don't create something and just put them in charge. That's a bad idea from the get-go. But God saw the end from the beginning. I love my kids. One of them was leading worship this morning. They're fantastic. I still want a Christmas gift. So <laughs> backpedal on that one. God creates us and gives us dominion over the earth. And in that dominion, because he's created us, he gives us choice. He gives us free will. God doesn't make us do anything. We're not forced to do anything. We have options. We have choices. We have ways of navigating life that he has given us. Love requires free will. He gave us the right to govern. He gave us the, the dominion over the earth out of love. He made us out of love. He released us to govern out of love. And love demands free will, or it's not love. It goes on in Genesis chapter 2, talking about how this free will is manifested. God gives Adam and Eve rulership of the earth, Tells them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You have authority over this and this and this and this. And he just gives them one thing so that they actually have free will. Free will doesn't work if you don't actually have a choice. Have you ever been given a choice and it's like, it's a bad choice, a bad choice, or a bad choice? And you're like, actually, there's no choice here. 
that's not, that's not a choice. It's just like, which level of bad? Um, but this is not that. God gave them everything good. In fact, God looked at the earth and the things that he had created and he said it was very good. But he says in this one portion, Genesis 2, 16 to 17, the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat it, you shall surely die. There's choice. God's like, here's life, life abundantly, or there's this one thing. And if you, if you choose this, you begin to die. And he wasn't just talking physical death because Adam and Eve didn't just eat it and die immediately. It's spiritual death. Their sin or their disobedience separated them from God. And they began to die a little bit on the inside. They also did begin to die physically. And over the course of history, we know the track record, the length of days that men have lived. It started off in the hundreds of years, like pushing a thousand. I mean, that sounds like too long to me. But that was how it started. And it just started winding down until now we're talking, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. The shift of death happened in this moment. It's part of the story. It's an interesting piece because God actually knew something would happen. And this is when, when we, we recognize that God is the author of the story, that the, the big picture is actually his picture that he wrote us into, that he included us into. We know that he knew that they were going to make that choice. We know that he knows what choice we're making. We know that God knows because he knows and he speaks the end from the beginning. He actually knows what's going on in my life. He knows my responses to it. He knows what I'm going to do with it. And he continuously offers me hope, continuously offers me an answer, continuously offers me a place to be. But God knew that's what he was going to head into and began to make a place, began to make a solution. One of the things that I think is so interesting, you know, when we celebrate Christmas and a lot of people, we've all probably experienced it. If you haven't yet, you will. The Christmas that comes when your heart is so broken and you are grieving so badly that it seems like Christmas is out of place. The reason it hurts so badly is because we weren't intended for death. Death is a byproduct of sin on the earth. And therefore, Christmas is the, the way we get through the grief. Not the, not the hoopla, not all the stuff, not all the bells and whistles of Christmas, but the central theme of Jesus on earth, that's how we get through the grief. That's how we get through the loss. That's how we get through the pain. That's how we get through the disappointment is understanding that this central bit was planned from the beginning. From the day that sin entered the earth, there was already a plan in place. This is the big picture story. Have you ever thought about when, you know, for instance, the Chronicles of Narnia or something like that, have you ever thought about how the author, like how much of the story did he already have in his mind? How, did, how do you break apart page after page after page of storyline? How do you know when to put in an element? How do you know when to decide to put in, you know, this person or this character or this, this piece of the story? How do you know when to do it? God is the master creator. And he had different parts of the story that he put in at different times for different reasons. But specifically, 1 Peter 1.20 says, But with the precious blood of Jesus, as a lamb without blemish, blemish, without spot, he was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. When this was written, when, when Peter wrote this, this was after Jesus had died on the cross and rose again. And he's saying that this, which was the expression of this, was planned before let there be light. We're in his story. He's not in ours. We're in his story. And he writes us in and creates a space for us. Revelation 13, 8 calls him the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. So like every good story, when you're reading a story, don't you love it when you're like, you're catching little hints and you're like, as you're reading, it's maybe it's a mystery or something like that. And you're reading and you're all of a sudden like, oh, I bet I know who did it. 
I bet that guy, I got a feeling about that guy. And you, you like almost congratulate yourself because you caught a clue. Like you're, you're like, I'm so smart. I know, I know what's coming. I know the end of this. The reason you know the end of it is because the author was really good and put some very strategic clues in there so that you could figure it out, right? The author was good enough to help you feel smart enough to find the solution that the author put there in the first place. Christmas, the cross, salvation, Jesus. Sometimes we feel like we are so smart because we found him. No, he found us and he left us enough clues that we could find him in return and feel like we got somewhere. It, it really is the reverse process that happens. And the way that God did it in the Bible, in the story, the actual pages of the story is what we call prophecy. And so if you don't know what that is, it's actually just the foretelling of the thoughts and intentions of God. And so prophecy is something that over the course of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, a prophet or a person who was hearing from God would release a, a phrase, a sentence, a, a story, a something, a message from God. And they're always in code. Rarely is it like super blunt. When you're reading through the Old Testament, particularly the code about Jesus is quite um, enclosed and it's hidden. It's a mystery that we get to dig out. But it's there enough that when we read it and we actually want to find God, he's left enough clues that we can find him. So the truth is, there are over 300, some say as many as uh, 540 prophetic words or prophetic indicators about Jesus's birth alone. Over 300 prophetic words about Jesus's birth alone. And he met every one of them. So for those of us who are like, oh my goodness, Jesus is God. We, like, I figured it out. You caught a clue. <laughs> He literally wants us to find this. He wants us to know what love looks like. He wants us, but he also always gives us free choice, free will. We have to decide. God would never force himself. So he just leaves a lot of really good clues. And, and, and when you're praying for somebody who hasn't yet found the clue, pray that they will. Pray that God would open the eyes of their understanding. An example of one of these things is Isaiah 9, verse 2 in the Amplified. It says, people who walk in darkness or spiritual darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. And so literally, it's one of these things that there's, we are in spiritual darkness, but there's a light, there's a shift that's coming. And so it matters that there was a bright light when the angels came when Jesus was born. It matters that there was a star for the wise men to follow. It matters that there's a light engaging this because the light of the world entered the world. It's, it, there's a hint there that the darkness is where we normally live before Christ. But when we encounter him, we encounter the light of the world. A phrase like that is a hint that's been written into the story so that we can find it and realize that he's found us all along. We're going to run just a little video. Um, Timothy Keller explains the story of how God has written, written us in and written himself into the story that I think explains this really well. Uh, this is going to scare some of you, but not all of you. But when Yuri Gagarin, the first Russian cosmonaut, became the first man that we know of that went into space and came back, this was 1961, and I want you to know that I remember it. Everybody was very excited about it. And some of you are saying, what? <laughs> I remember it. But he was, you know, uh, the official doctrine of the, of the Soviet Union was atheism. And he came back and he said that... Um, he went up into space and he didn't see God, which he thought confirmed the atheistic viewpoint. And C.S. Lewis was still alive and he wrote a little uh, essay called The Seeing Eye. And in it he said, uh, excuse me, he said, if there's a God, you wouldn't relate to God <clears throat> the way a person on the first floor relates to a person on the second floor. In other words, you don't find God by going higher up in your own space. If God is our creator, then we would relate to God, not as a person on the first floor relates to a person on the second floor, but as Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. 
Now, how is Hamlet ever going to know anything about Shakespeare? Hamlet's not going to find him anywhere on stage. If he, you know, he can go all over, he's never going to find him. The only way he's ever going to meet Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes himself into the play. In other words, Shakespeare created Hamlet, and if Hamlet's going to know anything about Shakespeare, Shakespeare's going to have to write himself in. Scroll forward. Uh, Dorothy Sayers was a mystery writer, and she wrote a set of mystery short stories and uh, novels about a detective, a fictional detective, Lord Peter Whimsey. About halfway through the novels and the short stories, a love interest shows up, Harriet Vane, and they fall in love. You know, he's very lonely, uh, but then Harriet falls, uh, shows up, and he, they fall in love, and they live happily ever after. And many uh, experts on Dorothy Sayers' work believe that she had written herself into her own stories, that she had looked into this this world she'd created and this this character she created and she saw he was lonely and she loved him and she wrote herself in to uh, to save him I'm here to tell you that almost almost not completely but almost that's exactly what God has done and that's what the incarnation is about he created us and he looks at us and he sees us flailing and sinking and he loved us enough to write himself in. And that's what the incarnation is. Jesus Christ is the creator God. It says so in John chapter 1. The creator God become a human being and come here to love us and to save us. Yeah, isn't that profound? It's an interesting way of looking at it. The fact that there was a God story before us. And then there's the story of mankind. And the story of mankind has the opportunity to know God. It's a story that he's actually the author of. That God is actually the author of our lives. Not in the way that dictates what we do, but in a way that he's, he's all-seeing. And he's all-knowing. And knowing what we would do, he makes a way of escape for us. He makes a way out. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that phrase, author and perfecter of our faith, takes on a different tone when we're thinking about it in the story of our life. If he's the author of my life, and he knows what I'm gonna go through, and he knows the struggles, and he knows the mistakes, and he knows the problems, and he knows the issues, is so unbelievably encouraging and life-giving to know that he also wrote himself into the story so that I have an answer, so that there's a way out, so that there's a way through the pain, that there's a way through the loss, that there's a way through the struggles, that there's a hope that is eternal. There's something that goes out beyond the story. Have you ever got to the end of a movie and it's like it leaves you on this cliffhanger and you just kind of want to wonder what happens next? That's revelation. The end of the book, we find out that there's, there's something that goes on far beyond the pages of human history. We enter into the God story on a, on a different level. So this piece is where God writes himself into our story because we've been written into his story. A little twisty, but it's cool. Acts 3.15 describes Jesus as the author of life. So let's just look at this. John chapter 1, as we ended with the video there, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What beginning are we talking about? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there was nothing. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. This takes a step of faith to believe this. We, we have to decide who is the creator, who made us, who made what it is that we see around us, who made life as we know it, who made the earth, who made us to be able to breathe, who made us be able to uh, procreate, who made us be able to love and give and share and do life, who made us? If we don't want to believe that, then none of this makes sense. If we don't want to believe that God is the creator, then the Christmas story 
does not make sense. And this is just a good celebration of something else. But if we want to believe the true story of Christmas, then we have to believe that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The first words that we read in the Bible is, let there be light. Jesus comes to the earth and we find out that he has given us the life that we carry is actually his light. It's actually that very thing that, uh, that breathed the earth into being. We carry it. The spark of life in us is actually the stamp of God. It's like the maker's mark. You know, you wonder sometimes when you're purchasing things, is this a, a counterfeit or is it real? We're the real deal because we carry the maker's mark. We carry the light of life. And as we carry it, we get to decide whether we acknowledge the creator or we don't. Whether we recognize that we're in his story or we don't. It says in verse five, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or could not extinguish it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So John the Baptist, as we read it in the Christmas story, his whole job, his reason for being, was to announce that Jesus is the light. And for every one of the 300 plus scriptures we might read in the Old Testament and sort of wonder, maybe, possibly, and, and when we read the beginning of Luke and we wonder, maybe, sort of, possibly, we know that there's this really bold thing that happens, this spoiler alert that comes forward because John 1.29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you didn't figure it out before you got to that verse, there it is. He actually is God. He's the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. So God wrote himself into the story, the light of the world that we see in Genesis in the very beginning. When God created, he sees mankind struggle because of the choice that was made because sin has entered the earth. And God comes in the form of man and enters the story because of love. How do we know it's out of love and not just to fix things? John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. That, that reality should rock us. And it's so important that we take days like this when we're in the middle of, you know, I don't know if anybody else was running around like crazy yesterday, finishing things up. And this is, this is the way our world works. We're having a celebration about Jesus, but we, we do all the stuff. But it's so important to pause and go, wow, there's somebody who's so much bigger than I am, who always was, before Abraham was born, I am. Who always will be. Who created me. Who I can't, I can't make a breath form in my lungs. But I can take the breath he gives me. And I can realize that it's a breath that he gives me. To know him. To experience him. To walk with him. Or I can waste it on something else. I can spend it on whatever I want because it's a breath that was given out of love and love isn't love if it doesn't have free choice. So we can hear the Christmas story and we can, you know, our society particularly, we're so inundated with movies and books and films and TV and Instagram and whatever, stories of all kind. And some of them are entertaining and some of them are stimulating and some of them are sad and, you know, some of them make us angry, whatever. Some of them are just stupid. I'm not going to say anything that starts with an H. 
that runs every month in, or every day in December, but um, some of them just could use a beefing up in the storyline. But they're stories. And we can tend to take the God story and the story of life that he's written us into, and we can just relegate it to like a story. It's like a movie. It's like a book. It's like a thing. We can do that. We have free will and we can have a choice to do that. But really, when we can't control the very breath that we have, the beating of our heart, the moving of our lungs, we, we actually can't control that. And we choose to recognize that there must be a creative force behind that, that God must be the master of the universe, that there must be somebody that created, that it makes me have to pay attention to the story. And if the story that he wrote says that he came into the earth so that I can be free, so that I can know him, so that I can get back to the beginning of the book and have a do-over with him, so that I can walk in life and life abundantly, I have a choice to pay attention to that. What's interesting about story is because when we hear a story, the Christmas story, we think fairy tale or fable. We think entertainment. But one of the definitions, in fact, Merriam-Webster's main definition for story is an account of incidents and events, a statement regarding the facts pertinent to a situation in question. I like that. The account of incidents and events, a statement regarding the facts. These things really happened. This really is a true story, well-documented true story. So if that's the case, then the reality is I have a choice to make and you have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make. I believe not only is this about coming to Christ, but it's about how we choose to live with him. If he is before and, and above and beyond all things, then I don't just add him as a tag on before a meal or a, in crisis, can somebody throw up a prayer? He's like the anchor of my whole life the central part of my whole life. There's a quote from uh, Lisa Cron. She wrote a, um, Story Genius, and it's just about like teaching people how to write. And she says this about a story. A story is about how the things that happen affect someone in pursuit of a difficult goal and how that person can change internally as a result. So let's just leave that up there for a minute. A story is about how the things happen. She goes on to explain how things happen. We just would say the plot. The story is about the plot and how it affects someone. The someone is the main character. Now, ultimately, the main character of the story is God in his story. But the story of humanity, he's made us the character. And humanity has this choice to respond to him. Yes and no, all the way through, from the beginning of the book to the end, we always have the choice. We're the ones that are, are the, the character that's being followed is the human flow, human's relationship with God. Sometimes we've been faithful as a, as a uh, society, sometimes we haven't. Sometimes there's been individuals that have come to know God and others that haven't, but the storyline continues on. So someone, us, the story is about how things happen or the plot, how it affects us in pursuit of a difficult goal. The difficult goal is the story problem. The problem is man stepped into darkness by choosing against the will of God. Right from page one. From the beginning of time, that's the problem. Man can't find its way back to the creator. Man can't find its way back to the author. Man can't find its way back. And so this is the problem. And then it goes on and it says, and how that person changed internally as a result, or what is the story actually about? So the story of our lives, the story of humanity, if we were to sum it up, the story, if we could sum up, what is the story of let there be light? It's the story of how God created man in his image out of love, out of desire for relationship, and made sure that we would get to choose him, that we would get to decide whether to walk with him or not. And he gave us authority and he gave us freedom. And man decided from page one to go against the creator, 
to go against God and to partner with sin, to decide to engage sin and brokenness entered the earth and there was this shift that happened. And through all of the history, there was, there was like a partial version, Old Testament covenant where blood was shed for the remission of sins and there was a constant push and pull and a back and forth. People came to God, they turned away and they were drawn away to their own desires and drawn away to other idols and drawn away to worship things. And then the story is God engaged and sent Jesus, the son of God himself, entered the story, took on the form of man for us out of love to give us a choice. Lived a sinless life, 33 years in, prime of his life, died on the cross, suffered, paid an unthinkable price, not for himself, not for anything that he himself had done, but because of us, to give us a do-over. You remember playing Monopoly and you get the get out of jail free card? And it's like the jackpot, right? You get the get out, the get out of jail free card and you just know there's always a solution. This is a million billion times better than that. What we deserve and what we get are hanging on the balance of that cross. It starts here, it moves there, and then it has to take root in our heart. The story goes that when we receive Jesus, everything can change and we're made right with him. It doesn't change the consequences of what have happened on the earth. The reality is our earth is very broken. The world around us is very broken. When you see pain and hardship and abuse and, and these horrible things that we hear about, that is not what God wrote into the story. That's the consequences of what man wrote into the story. That's the consequences of man's choice in the story. But when we accept him, when we receive him, we walk with him through that and on into the eternity. This is the beautiful thing is that where the story of mankind ends when the earth ends, because it will. Here's the news flash for everybody who thinks we can actually save the planet. We should read the end of the book. We know what happens and there is an eternity that is beyond this earth. So when we accept Jesus, we step into a place of knowing him and walking with him into eternity. It's the thing that gives us hope when we've lost somebody, when somebody dies in faith, we know that we'll see them again. We know that they're not gone. They've entered the other part of the story. They've entered into the place where they're living in the perfect light and love of Christ all the time. And so we have this thing, but, but here's the story um, is about the things that happen, how they affect someone in pursuit of a difficult goal, the story problem which Jesus solved, and how the person changed internally as a result. And I think that that's the key. How the person changed internally as a result. If Christmas is real, then I should be changed internally as a result. And it is really not about cookies. It is really not about certain songs. It's really not about specific traditions. It's really not about, you know, is it the same as we like it to have? It's not even around, about who's around your table. It's about I'm changed internally as a result. He wrote himself into my story so that my story has a solution that I could never have on my own. I could never find it on, it, on my own. The story of Christmas, the celebration of the Christ is meant to bring internal change and it is meant to alter my reality, not tonight and tomorrow, but every day that I have breath. It is meant to change my reality. John 1, 10 to 12 points out the choice and I'm gonna have the worship team come. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. This is the follow-up to the light came into the world. And the world did not know him. He came to receive his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Every longing finds its fulfillment in the miraculous arrival of the Savior Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we, as we finish this up and you begin your Christmas celebrations, I know some have already had, last night you've already done things with family.
I want to challenge you and me, challenge us with leaning into this revelation, leaning into the revelation that God's story always was and always will be. My story has a bit of a timeline on it. I don't know if I've got another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 10 minutes. Really, I don't know. I do know that the life that I have is here because God said, live. Because in the very beginning, when he started and he said, let there be light, and we read when Jesus came, that light was the life of man. The light of man was the life of God. That, that breath that I have is a gift from him because I've been written into the story. And the, the Bible tells us that he actually not only knit us together in our mother's womb and we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but he wrote the story of our lives. Not in a way that dictates what we're gonna do or dictates what we experience, but in a way that says he knows us. He knows you would be here today. Those watching online, he knew you would be watching online today. He knew what job you would have. He knew what person you would be with. He knew if you were, would, would be going through loss. He knew if you would be going through celebration. He knew today, you're, you're written in the book. It's, there's a page for today. And the question is then, what do we do with that? If there is an author of life, that should change my internal dialogue. Where I don't just ask him to bless my choices, but I invite him into everything that I do. That I stop asking God to prove himself and if things go good, God's, God's good. And if things go bad, God's forgotten me. No, he is here now to walk you through that we wouldn't be separated, that from the very beginning, how God intended it, we can actually engage that kind of relationship again. And I know that's a lot to think about. I know it's, it's deep and maybe some of us have never thought about this before. Some of us just need a, a refresher. But either God is real and my internal dialogue needs to respond to who He is and what He says, or I might as well skip Christmas. I'm not trying to wreck anybody's Christmas plans, but that's the reality. If I believe that God exists, then I have to believe what He says and what He included in the story. And the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hints He gave so that I could catch a clue and realize that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's my choice. It's a good choice to make. Let's stand together this morning. If you've never... Uh, thank you. Praise God. If you've never made that decision for Christ, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer today and I'm just gonna ask everybody to repeat after me. And we're gonna, we're gonna say yes, we're gonna recognize our place in the story. If you don't feel like you, you are ready to, that's okay too, you don't need to pray it along. But if you are, we don't want anybody leaving today or going into the Christmas celebration wondering who God is. He is the lover of your soul, the central part of the story, the eternal one. And so church family as well, those who you already know the Lord, let's just make a recommitment to Him today. And just repeat after me, Father God, I come before you today and I recognize that I am not God of my own, that you alone are God, master of the universe, Adonai, and I thank you, God, for seeing me, for knowing me, for loving me, for writing me into the story. And God, I thank you for seeing that I would need 
a savior and making a way. God, today, I recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I receive today, by faith, Jesus into my life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and to call me your child. By faith today, I step into this relationship. And God, as you've written me into your story, I choose today to live in that story, to live for you, to know you more every day. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask you to fill my Christmas celebration with your presence. May you be lifted high in my home and my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.